continue that afterwards. Um, they turned the mic on me, so I said I better start, I guess. That's what happens. They said, get started, Dad. All right. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus. Amen. Why don't we pray? Father, we come before you to, again, study this text that you've put before us. How you've so composed the body. And you made us uh, one body, though we are various members. And as Aaron uh, so aptly put it, that we already enjoy each other's gifts and to mutually edify. And so we, we pray, Father, Lord, as we've already been edified by the prayers, by the singing, by the music, by the fellowship and the just catching up. We just thank you for the visitors from far away. Lord, we just thank you for our new friends. We thank you that you've brought us all together. But Lord, we thank you uh, because when we come here, we know it's not a sanctified place in itself. This is not the holy of holies, but it is holy because you come. And because you take the things of Christ and the Spirit blesses it. And so, Father, we pray that Christ would be exalted and that we would become less and less our own and more and more yours. Thank you for forgiveness in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul spends a lot of time on this section because we know that it was starting to cause disunity in the local church. And so I've entitled this section, uh, the verses that Brother Aaron read, Depending on One Another. Depending on One Another. This is not some cliche. This is not some Hallmark card saying this is actually a calling upon us that God has put in the direction of how we live our lives. How are we to live our lives? Depending on one another. You know, sometimes um, I will see across my media feed videos of folks who live the van life. You ever, you ever see that? And I go, man, that's kind of cool how they have their whole, all their cooking utensils and Everything's all there and their bed's there and then they just get up and go. And, or sometimes I'll come across in my feed there, you know, the sailing boat life. You ever seen that? There's these families that just keep sailing and they keep going all over. And I must admit, I do sometimes, it does sometimes catch my interest. I must admit. Uh, and we know that this harkens back to the early American explorer who used to rely on himself for food and shelter and everything else. And that is, that's ingrained in our uh, national consciousness. But nowadays we see these as full-time explorers, jumping from place to place, living by himself or herself. And I'm not talking about a vacation, which we all should take where you need to recover and to refresh yourself. I'm not talking about that. You need to do that. And to get back into the fray and serve again. What I'm talking about is a permanent lifestyle where you're not responsible for anyone, for the care of anyone, nor is anyone responsible for your care. Now, if you're sitting there and thinking, I, I don't need anyone. No one needs to care for me. I don't need to care for anyone. I want to challenge that. The word of God says differently, and God says differently. While on the surface, it may seem harmless, this inclination to do things my way, kind of like Frank Sinatra, I, I did it my way, by myself, and not depend to end on anyone else, stems from a sinful tendency that even came from the beginning. Even as early as the story of Cain and Abel, if you recall the story, Genesis chapter 4, as early as chapter 4, after chapter 3 of the fall of man, there lies in man's heart a despising of caring for one another. I don't want to... Am I my brother's keeper? Imagine the insolence 
But Cain says to God, to God himself, where is Abel? Am I his keeper? And so in that, in our own hearts, there is that sinful tendency that says, I don't need to care for anyone. I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to have responsibility for anyone else. Man has been trying to live in his own self-sufficiency ever since. You see this all over social media, and it sounds like this, this attitude of, I don't need to answer to anyone. You just need to make yourself, here's, here's one, you just need to make yourself happy regardless of the relationships you break. I, I, see, I see this one person just keeps posting, I, I choose happiness, and he left his wife and kids. This is, you guys know I'm not making this up. Or how about this one? You need to tell people, you don't tell people enough to get lost. And they don't say get lost. They say something else, you know. Or how about this? This is kind of more insidious. Follow your, follow your own passions regardless of others. You need to follow your own passions regardless of others. Sadly, rather than teaching and living a life, and this is going to be the word here, of interdependence. God has called you, if you are a Christian, to live in interdependence on one another. Rather than teaching and living a life of interdependence in the body of Christ, many churches cater to this individualistic, self-sufficient mindset. They may have large services that attract crowds, but there is no real life-on-life discipleship or no real life-on-life accountability or no real life-on-life community and no real life-on-life submission. That's foreign. In fact, if you were to say that this is from the Word of God, they would say, that sounds a little bit cultish to me when it's very clear in the Word of God. There is simply this, oh, the music was good. The message was a feel-good message. Let me leave. Let me leave without getting into anyone's life and without anyone getting into mine. I kind of want to live my life like how I go to work. I go to work. I don't want to talk to my neighbors. I just want to hit the garage door opener, go inside and close it before anyone talks to me. Or... On the flip side, other churches may stress the sufficiency of Christ. Yes, Christ is sufficient for all things. And then they get the wrong application and they say, therefore, we really don't need each other. We just need good preaching and we don't need each other. That is false as well. The body needs its individual members for its own growth. We need each other to round each other off. We get weird if we start to think one thing and we don't have others say, okay, maybe this is a more biblical way of thinking it. See, Christ has not designed his church to be like this. So for us to be individualistic and not interconnected, for us to be isolated and not to be interdependent. It's not a business where you go and consume individually wrapped spiritual food and go about the day. It's an organism, a body which depends on Christ for its vitality and each other for its proper functioning. We know in 1 Corinthians 12, we start in verse 20. Verse 20, he gives his thesis over and over. He repeats it several times. But verse 20 is, But now there are many members, but one body. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would live interdependent on one another in the local church as Christ intended. He gave this passage so that you would live interdependent on one another in the local church as Christ 
intended. This is Christ's design. This is his focus. He created us not as isolated Lone Ranger Christians. He has brought us into the fold so that we would encourage and build one another up. And we are to live in, in interdependent lives in this. Our lives should be transformed. Brothers and sisters, your life should be so transformed that it's not, it is a normal thing to be preoccupied, I would say, with church gatherings and church meetings and church prayer and discipleship and coming together. Why? We are to live lives that are independent with one another. Now, the background of this, as, as you recall, all through 1 Corinthians 12 He starts in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. He starts here, Paul starts with the spiritual gifts. And as as a reminder, I have to keep going to this. He says very clearly, you can understand what spiritual gifts are. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. There is no lack of clarity. There is no mystery. In fact, if you do not understand spiritual gifts and their exercise in the local church, all that there will be is confusion and disunity. You actually can understand. That's the whole implication. So he encourages and says the teaching can be understood and applied. Verses 4 to 6, he's going to say, he's going to continually name these three themes of sovereignty. God did this. God appointed this. God gave us this diversity of gifting. He has blessed each individual member with this gift mix to serve in the local church as Aaron is, pre- as Aaron is uh, praying so that we could serve one another, so that we can love one another and interdependence. So there's these themes of sovereignty, gifting, interdependence. And he keeps repeating it over and over again so that we know that this is how we ought to live our lives. In verses 4 through 6, we recall when he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, the varieties of ministries, the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God. We know that he is sovereign, the sovereign triune God in gifting, in giving us a line, a, a place to serve, and its effects. In verses 6 to 11, he emphasizes the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit as bestowing gifts to individual members to the church. In verses 12 to 17, he starts to talk about this interdependence of the members of the body. And in verses 18 and 19, (coughs) there's the sovereignty of God in placing the members of the body, particularly in the Corinthian church. Notice in verse 18 and 19, he goes, God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as what? He desired. You have to realize that. It's not according to your desire. You may be sitting next to a person and say, man, I really have a hard time with this person. I love this person, but I have a hard time. You have no say in who God brings to the church. This, remember the context is a local church. It's how he desires. You're not building Christ's church. He's not building your church. Christ is building his church. And just like you can't choose your brother or sister in in a regular blood family, you can't choose your brother and sister in a church. They're there. And they're there for your growth. Amen? Just as he desires. Now, he continues on. Back to verse 20, he states his thesis. Many members, one body. And he says, it's like he's, he's switching in verse 20. But now, it's very forward and very clear emphasis of his teaching. He continues with this metaphor that members simply means body parts, limbs. And it, he's using it as a metaphor to stress our oneness that we need each other. We can't function properly. I remember... Uh, uh, Carlo had this tournament yesterday, and that's why my voice is like this, because I was shouting, go, go, go. So Carlo was wrestling, but beforehand, he goes, Dad, um, I can't drive off my foot. I'm like, what? Carlo, you're strong here, here, and your legs and everything. He goes, I know, but I can't drive off my foot. I go, why? Because my toe hurt. 
And I said, here, let me, let me mess with it here and massage it here. So I'm massaging it. And he goes, oh, 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 oh. And I worked, I know it sounds gross, but I worked this knot out of his foot, right? Now, you may laugh at that, but you have to think about the metaphor that Paul uses. He's saying it's such a small thing. But, but uh, Giancarlo could not drive off of that. And you need to drive when you wrestle. He could not push. He could not put pressure down. And so he will lose simply because of the malfunction of a toe. is that amazing? And that's how God wants us to know about our inter- interdependence. Now, to live interdependent on one another in the local church, because that's where it happens. This is not the context outside, somewhere else, some imagination, interdependent only on my family. No, that's not what it says. This is the church in Corinth. Don't change the context, okay? He wants you to be in in interdependence in the family of God. There are three very important realities that must be understood and lived out. The first one is that every member is crucially needed in verses 21 to 26. Every member is crucially needed. Now you can say this as some platitude and you can say it as some, some kind of kind words, pleasantries to say. But you have to understand this in reality. Every member is crucially needed. And then he talks about in verses 21 and 26 that there are enemies of this interdependence within the body. You have to be aware of this in yourself and you have to be aware of this with your brothers and sisters and you got to be honest about it. The first one, the first enemy of this interdependence that God has caused us, called us to be, the first enemy is self-pity. Self-pity. And I, 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 I'm going to go back to verses 15 and 17. Notice, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for the reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would the hearing be? And so, this is the person, this is an enemy of interdependence. Is when you let this root, this thought get in your heart. And what this thought is of self-pity. And this is what it says in our language. The church doesn't need me. The church doesn't need me. Because I'm not like like so-and-so. Because I can't play drums like Ty. The church doesn't need me. No, the text clearly says... That we are in need of one another. Actually, this, this over-focus on self-pity is actually a form of pride. It's an over-focus on self. You have to put that down, brothers and sisters. Because if the Bible says you are needed, if God says you are needed, if He has so redeemed you and given you a gift... What is the stewardship upon you? To sit there and not use it? No. Don't let that root of self-pity stop you. Second is, is pride. It's, a, it's this boastful, arrogant pride. It's the opposite of self-pity. But it's rooted both in pride. It's amazing. Pride can have its expression in self-pity. And pride can have its expression in boasting. So maybe call it boasting. I'll change my point. Change my sub-point. Boasting. Okay. Sorry. Right. Changing. Right. Boasting. Notice he says in verse 21 to 22. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body... Which seem to be weaker are necessary. This uh, this is different from self pity. Self pity says the church doesn't need me. Boastful pride says I I don't need the church. Do you notice? It's both in its self self sufficiency and its pride. This says. The first one says, 
I'm not going to go low and humble myself and serve in my, uh, in my uh, area. The second one says, uh, well, I will take all of the service and I don't need you to do it. I don't need you. Some individuals in Corinth were like that. Sadly, some ministries are like this. Where the figurehead thinks he can do everything. Man, uh, to combat that, there, there has to be this, this aura, this, not aura, excuse me, this atmosphere of prayer, of dependence on God. There has to be this uh, collaboration of biblical contribution within the team of, of those who serve. I remember, even as we celebrate, this is amazing, brothers and sisters, as an independent church, now that we are an independent church, in, it's taken us six years. We're elder-led, we have deacons, we have financial independence. When we planted uh, many of the original team members, I often told you, I would not have come without you. There is no way. There is no way. Christ has taught me by me failing over and over again and growing weary and trying to do everything on my own that I, I cannot. I can't, I can't do it. I'm weak. You're weak. But in Christ together, we're strong. And so, God has given us a gifted and diverse team to continue on with this work. I, I was encouraged. We took um, our brother Andre uh, Enriquez. Uh, he doesn't look it. You guys will probably think he's 30. The man is 50. Okay, he's 50. All right. Sorry, I outed you. He fitty, right? He is 50. And I've, we were asking him around the table. We were like, what do you want to do? I mean, where do you think God has you? He goes, I'm just ready for the next thing. I'm ready to serve. I'm like, see, praise the Lord. Because he's a gift to our church. And I know he wants to contribute to the work that God has placed upon all of our hearts. We are a team of diverse gifts. And there is no way we could move forward without each one of us. He noticed, he says in verse 23, those members of the body which we deem less honorable. On these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Notice he says the word, he uses this phrase less honorable, which is interesting. The word means to, to put around. These are typically the areas of the body, if we were to think about it, that are clothed, that are covered. And the more abundant honor, if we were to follow that metaphor, it's probably showing, talking about our hands, which are visible, and our face, which is visible. We always look at the face because we think that's of more honor. We think that the less honorable things need to be covered. The cover, but as we start to think about it, the things, this is, this is the argument. Notice he says in verse 23, those members of the body which we deem less honorable and these we bestow more abundant honor and are less presentable members because become much more presentable. Look at verse 24. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body giving much abundant honor to that member which lacks so that there be no division in the body. And what he's saying is this, that the importance of the things that are covered that we think are not as important are actually more important, more needed, more useful. See, there are inner workings of this local church, brothers and sisters, that are, I mean, there's interactions of who has the order of service and where does that go and Elders doing this, deacons doing this, members doing this, and the nursery's going, and 
all things are firing and then we have the teachers and the home fellowship groups and those who are teaching in college and career and then we have people who are planning the games for the youth and then we have people who are uh, teaching and then leading the prayer and all the discussions and those in the AV team. Amen? AV team? Amen. But all of that stuff will not work without each other. That's amazing. The heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, the intestines, we typically don't even think about. I mean, when you get ready to go, hey, I'm coming here for Sunday morning, I don't think, okay, how's, how's my liver? How's my pancreas? I don't, I, don't, I don't think about that, right? I just think about, I think about, did I, when I shave, did I catch all the hairs, you know? Um, am I okay? Do I have stuff on my face? Do I have breakfast on my lips? Please, you know. Why? Because that's what I'm concerned about. But when it, but if you really think about it, in order for me to keep functioning, I really need my heart. I really need my liver. I really need my lungs, right? And so what God is saying is that those things which are covered, which we think don't have much honor, are actually more honorable. It's amazing. They should be seen with much more care and much more respect. That's why when I go back to the AV team, I say, how are you guys doing? You guys are doing well? Doing okay? Because if you ever serve in the AV team, you know nobody ever goes to you when the, sun, when the sound is good. Nobody goes to the AV team and says, you did a good job. Nobody ever says that. They only go to the AV team when there's something bad. Didn't you guys get the words up right? What's wrong with the speaker? What's, that's the only thing, by the way, you need to thank your AV team. Because without the AV team, you couldn't hear the music. You couldn't hear the preaching. You got to think about that. We are interconnected. We need each other. Every person who plugs in a plug into a monitor, every person who unloads the stuff from the truck, every person who pays the bills to keep this place is needed. We are interdependent on one another for this time of edification. The AV team, the facilities, the flags, the communion team. What if one person just doesn't bring the juice? As simple as that. We're not having communion. As simple as that. Without Happy Harbor, the children wouldn't hear the gospel on Sundays for them at their level. Parents would not be freed up to hear the word of God without distraction on one Sunday morning. Without our finance team, Nelson, uh, our finance team, Nelson, (laughs) we would not be able to pay rent and all the insurance that covers us. Our car insurance for our van, our, our car, uh, our personal liability insurance to keep the lights on, and our damage insurance. So in verse 24, when he says, Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. What he is saying is, if you serve in a ministry that is unseen, God sees. And if you do it for his glory, and you're connecting it to glory. See, this is, where, this is where we become bitter. If we fall to the temptation that I am simply rolling up cords. I am simply doing this. Or I am simply, you know, uh, packing up the bookstore. If you only see that and you don't see the unity in mission, in love, in the glory of Christ. You will not see the greater picture We are part of the body. And this is what the Spirit of God wants us to know. And so he repeats this whole teaching so that there be no division in the body. You're more important. There's no division in the body. I mean, you guys know I could not be where I'm at without my wife. And she's not up here preaching, praise the Lord, right? She's not, she shouldn't be, right? But you know, I would not be where I'm at without her ministry to me. But you guys don't see. She 
She helps me with my clothes. She says, uh, that, you're colorblind. You got it wrong again, right? She gets me ready. She, looks, she may look at my outline and say, you know, that doesn't even sound clear. That's so clunky. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so that there be no division of the body that the members may have the same care. All must be cared for in the body regardless of giftedness, ministry, or charisma. We are one body. The third enemy is apathy, verse 26. In times of suffering, I say apathy as a negation because sometimes this is going to hinder your interdependence if you are an apathetic person. If you just don't care, if you're indifferent to people. Verse 26 says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Paul says it elsewhere, weep with those who what? Weep. The word there, pasco, if one member suffers, he changes from all the members suffer with it. And then he uses this prefix, sim pasco, sim meaning with, pasco meaning to suffer. And the Latinized version of it would be compassion, come with passion from pasco, compassion. You have to have compassion. Now, I, I, I must admit, women are better than men at this. They are. They're just more compassion, compassionate. Because sometimes us, us men, we think a more manly man is someone who's, who, who does not feel or have compassion or empathy with someone who is suffering. And yet Paul says, you need to be like this. You need to weep with those who weep. The word there means to assume one share of suffering together. I will take what you are suffering about upon me. You may be sick. I'll take that on me. I'm going to ask how you're doing. You put, a, you put a loved one in the ground. I'm going to be there and weep with you. We're not separate in this life. This is, why, this is why Jeremy was so concerned. And praise the Lord, he has this concern. This separation of COVID-19 is keeping us apart. Whatever you may think about it, it's not helping the church. We're not together. We can't weep with one another. We can't suffer with one another. We need each other. This is, what Christ, this is how Christ has designed us. There must be a sharing of suffering. Not thinking that you're self-sufficient or that they're self-sufficient. Brothers and sisters, you have to be willing to enter in. You gotta be willing to enter in. Not thinking that they're self-sufficient or I am. So if you're the one suffering you got to be willing to share this. you got to. As a Christian, if you're suffering, you have to be willing to share it. God has said you're not supposed to bear this alone. You may be even uncomfortable. You may have been raised. You need to take care of your own problems. You don't need to share it with anybody. God says you have to share it so someone could bear it with you. So someone could pray with you. That's not the kind of lives we're supposed to live. Well, I wasn't raised like that, Angelo. Who cares? Neither was I. Christ has told us to be a new people. We're under a new Lord. Amen? The one who is not suffering, suffering must be willing to enter in with them. Saints, there are times you must put your schedule down and go and weep with your brother and sister. There are times you got to just put it down. Some of you do this very well and others you don't know how or you're not willing to. Oftentimes, brothers and sisters, in the suffering with other people, you don't even have to say anything. You just got to be there. Hug, shoulder. I'll just weep with you. I know you're in pain. It's too heavy. Or sometimes what res you resist from this apathy why you don't want to enter in and suffer with your brothers and sisters is because it's too heavy and you don't want to carry it. 
and you, and you don't like that it's uncomfortable or it's uncomfortable to be in the hospital room. It is. I'm never comfortable there. Or it's uncomfortable to be in the funeral home. Or it's uncomfortable to be in that living room when the family has been destroyed because of sin. But Christ calls you to, he calls each of us to enter into each other's mess and to help each other. That's real Christian living. That's not for radical Christians. That's not for pastors and elders and deacons. That's for us, the body. And isn't that just like Christ? Christ calls you to, as he entered into our suffering, he entered into our world of suffering from sin, and he suffered for our sin on our behalf. This is the very heart of the gospel, brothers and sisters. You see the heartbeat of the gospel here. The heartbeat of the gospel is this is how Christ is. This is how my body should be. I have entered into their suffering. I have come because you have been in sin and God has, has sent me. And if you believe in me and repent of your sins, you can be saved. And you can do that right now if you don't know him. But I've come to enter into your suffering to alleviate it forever in Christ. And if Christ did, so should we. Amen. Now notice also, not only in times of suffering, but in times of honor. And he uses the same formula. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Kare is, is for the honored portion. Or, excuse me. Sin kare. He adds it together. Sin again. S-Y-N. When I say sin. Like synchronous. It's the with pre- uh, prefix. Kare means to rejoice with it. I rejoice with you. It's when you are genuinely happy with the good circumstances for your brother or sister. Even if you're going through something difficult yourself. I rejoice. I am glad that happened to you, brothers and sisters. Now, another enemy, another enemy of, of this understanding of this reality that every member is crucially needed is, not, is self-pity, pride, it's apathy, but it's also for forgetfulness. And, and Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now you notice he repeats it again. Paul, you already said that. You already said that. We were all many members but one body. And now he responds and he says it in a different way. You are Christ's body. Individually members of it. We are to live like this. Because you have been redeemed with a price. Um, it's, It's funny that our brother Mike is here. We sing a song called Not Your Own. I Am Not My Own. We sing it. And uh um. Mike and some brothers from the church, they, they wrote that song and it really, really has its emphasis that I'm not my own, I'm Christ, right? And I would even push that even far, farther. I am not my own, I am Christ and that is expressed in the local church. It doesn't really fly as a song. Maybe you could write one like that, brother. And it's expressed in the local church, right? But that's really what it is. I'm not my own, I'm connected. I'm not just doing things willy-nilly. I don't just make decisions. Or if I make decisions, I'll ask Jeremy later, and I'll say, okay, I'll back up off of that one, right? I don't just make big decisions. I'm submitting to folks. And you should be like that too. Hey, what do you think about if I take this as a job? Not as a legalistic, cultish kind of thing. I'm just asking you, what is your advice? What do you think about my spiritual life if I go to college here? What do you think about my spiritual life if I, if I do this activity? Will it block me from ministry? What do you think about my spiritual life if I take on this teaching assignment? If, or do you think I should go? Am I ready to do this yet? All these things. We're interconnected, brothers and sisters. Don't make these decisions willy-nilly by yourself. 
Or else what that only does is just shows that you are self-sufficient and you think you got it all. You think you got it covered. You think you're all the wellspring of wisdom. You're in a dangerous place. Every member is crucially needed. Every member, secondly, is peculiarly gifted. Every member is peculiarly gifted. In verses 28 to 30, here is the diversity of gifts explained. Verse 28, he says, and God is appointed in the church. This is an amazing, amazing verse of sovereignty. The word appoint means to designate a sign he gave a task to. And we already went through these gifts. I'll just briefly talk about them. These gifts of apostles. We know that the apostles are a, a defined group of men from Acts chapter 1 who has seen the risen Lord, who were commissioned by Christ and who were chosen by Christ. You can check that in Acts chapter 1. The prophets were in this time most likely um, revealing new truth and afterwards they were proclaiming that truth which was already told. Teachers which we still have, the miracles which we talked about previously of how this was a gift a certain gift given at the time to authenticate the gospel message. And we can see that all through Acts. And um, the gifts of healing is the same. The gifts of helps we see as well. And administrations, the helps is an amazing gift that allows people to come alongside you to accomplish that which is uh, needed for the purpose of the gospel. Administrations, this is a, a part of a gift mix that allows folks to, and, and, and in most, in all, I would say all leadership capabilities, you have to have a gift of administration. Of allowing to mobilize and uh, energize a group of people to be able to stick to a certain task and a mission. The gift of tongues, as we have seen in the past, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to see later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what the gifts of tongues is. We believe it is the gift of speaking a foreign language that you haven't spoken of before. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. As a review of what we've talked about before. So that's the diversity of gifts explained. And now we have the diversity of gifts assumed. Now this is a little bit more subtle. Now you notice... All of these are questions. Okay. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Now, what is the obvious answer? What is the obvious answer that he's asking for this, for this question? No. Correct? And then we typically just move on. But you have to see the implications. Notice, all are not apostles. And the implication of this is that we were not given, not everyone was given this special office. Not everyone was given the special office of prophet. Now let's get down to teachers. Not everyone is supposed to be a teacher. And that should be okay with you. If you are given as a gift of a teacher, you should... You need to take that and run with it and give yourselves to it. And if you're not, that's okay too. Let me encourage you. You're not less of a Christian. You're not less, uh, you're not a second rate Christian. And how do I know this? Because this is the context. The context is these gifts are not supposed to divide us. They're supposed to identify these gifts for us so we would understand their function in the local church and so that we would work together. So him explaining this, Paul explaining this by the Holy Spirit, is supposed to unify us, not divide us. All are not workers of miracles, no. So now here, this is very interesting because when we come to this this point, all do not speak with tongues, do they? And see, there are many groups, and some of you may know, you may have even relatives who come, who come from this kind of tradition where they would think that if you are truly, they, they divide Christians this way, that someone comes to Christ, but they don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they divide that, we would say, no, that's false. Because there's many scriptures, you can go all over, even in Romans chapter 5, where every Christian who comes to Christ, every person who comes to Christ, they are given the Holy Spirit immediately. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit immediately. This is what he talked about all over 1 Corinthians. They were given the gifts immediately. So to have a group of people who are saved but not baptized in the Spirit is very dangerous. And here's the reason why. Because a lot of times those, they would say, you didn't receive the second blessing. This is the kind of theology that they teach. The second blessing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received the second blessing, we will know. How will you know? Because if you receive the second blessing, you now speak in tongues. And they have this different definition of what tongues is. The different definition of tongues is now this unintelligible uh, language that is not a human language that is more gibberish in the prayers and in the gatherings. And so what happens is the gifts that are supposed to unify are now used as the gifts that divide. Because of their, now you have these Christians who are the haves and the have-nots. And it's the same thing that was happening in Corinth. Although they were really dealing, I believe, with the real gifts of tongues, right? But here, even this, our giftedness, brothers and sisters, should not divide. I wish I could be like that person. Or why can't they be more like me? Or I'm okay without them. Or no, they don't need me. All of that should be brought down to the submission under Christ. Just get busy for the Lord. Lastly, as we are ending, and uh, every member, not only every member is crucially needed, you need your brother and sister right next to you. Hey, why don't you look at your brother or sister next to you and say, I need you. I need you. I need you. Okay. Secondly, Every member is peculiarly gifted. Why don't you look at them and say, hey, you are peculiarly, gift, peculiarly gifted. All right. Yeah, that's true. Right. You are peculiarly gifted. And lastly, every member is greatly obligated. You could say that too. Every member is greatly obligated. Say that to each other. Okay. And it, under this point, there's just two subpoints. One is rebuke. And secondly, it's encouragement. Now, verse 31a, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. This is very interesting, this phrase. Some folks would say, see, you need to earnestly desire the gifts. This verse says, now go seek the gift of tongues. First of all, that is not a biblical gift of tongues. Second of all, this is not what the verse is teaching. But it says it, Angelo. I know that's what it says. Look, it earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, here, I'm glad Mike Lucas is here because he can explain to you that there's a difference between the indicative and the imperative. And if you want to write that down, I'm going to tell you, okay? The indicative is just saying what's happening, okay? Indicative, indicating, okay? The imperative is a command, okay? Now, what's happening in this text is that um, when you look at this word, the earnestly seeking or desiring, the imperative form is the same as the indicative form. Okay? And the only way you could tell the difference is what? It's always, help me. Context. Context is king, right? So what's the context? If he has been explaining not all are this, not all are that. If he's already been explaining God has appointed certain people to have different gifts, if he's already explaining that we are all to be different but still one body, why would he turn around and say, but now you have to seek those gifts? If he's already said he's gifted you, why would he already turn around and say you have to seek those gifts? And I argue to you because it's not a command, it's an indicative. He's not telling us. He's not telling them to seek an, uh, other gifts. He's telling the Corinthians as a rebuke. You've been gifted. But you still do this. 
You still seek these gifts. You follow. You have already been gifted, but you wrongly still seek these other gifts. You've already been blessed. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and given a spiritual gift in your own particular gift mix, but you still seek these other ones because they're flashier, because they're more in the face of people. They're more public. And yet God says, God says that you shouldn't. And so now Paul pivots in this great obligation and he says, really, We're talking about all these things, but the real atmosphere, the real couch of all these things, he says, I will show you a more excellent way, and that's the changeover to chapter 13, which we think is all about marriage, because we always read it in marriage. You got to think about that, 1 Corinthians 13. It's all about love. Love is patient, love is kind. You know, we read that during a a wedding, and it's good. You could read it. I'm not going to hit you with a bat, right? You could read it there. But you have to think about it. The context of it is we just need to love each other in the midst of our diversity of gifts. That's the whole context. We need to be patient. We need to be kind. We don't need to be boastful. I'm gifted, you're not. Right? We need to, what else does it say? Not brag, not arrogant, not becoming, not seeking its own, not taking into account a a wrong suffering. Rejoicing in unright- not re- rejoicing in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things. So he's saying this, that the whole vehicle by which we can live interdependent lives, it's not going to be some business transaction where we all are on the same thread or group message or taskless or project management. That's not what links us, he says. What links us is love. Love from Christ to us and love from uh, us to each other because of Christ. And that is the framework by which we can exercise these gifts because I love Christ and I love you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for what you've done. Help us to keep serving and honoring and loving you. God, I am just so grateful what you're doing just to see people say, yes, I want to serve Christ. I want to do this for his glory. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, the body of Christ. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.